Welcome to episode 2 of The White Plate. In this edition, we have with us Nina Bajin Imlan, one of my closest friends from grad school, to talk about Taosug food and the dimensions of cultural identity, appropriation, politics, and food as an important part of peace building. Please don't forget to hit follow. The podcast will soon be available on Apple Podcasts, so please watch out for future announcements. I'm very excited because today we're going to be joined by one of my great friends from UP Diliman. Getting a master's degree was a very memorable time for me. So grad school was a bit like a break from reality because when I was taking my MA in international studies, it felt like life was suspended and I was in a bubble. The UP campus has that feel when you are under the massive century trees and when you are within the confines of the campus, there is a sort of feeling of being in a state of balance. So at least that's how it felt like to me. And uh, I could say that the experience was made even more life-changing because I met some pretty awesome friends who, I should say, brought color and life to the roughly five years that I spent at the university, which is, I guess, a story that a lot of people can relate to, not only because most of us who pursue MA degrees in Diliman often take ages (laughs) to finish, but also because we can all relate to finding an exceptionally diverse pool of friends. Because UP is a melting pot of people from all over the country, if there is a microcosm of the entire Philippines, it is within the confines of the lush and green avenues of UP Diliman. So friends, let us welcome my good friend, Nina Bajin Imlan. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Nina. It's been, it's been a freaking while. Yes, yeah, I, mean, I know. I think the last time I saw you, you were not married yet. That's how long, that's how long <laughs> this has been going on. And I've been pregnant twice since. I know. Holy crap. Just popping them out. Yeah. So Nina here has quite the resume. So uh, I think. Yes, I'm, one of, I'm one of the diverse people you're talking about. Precisely. No, I mean, uh, really, I, I meant that in a way that, uh, well, uh, I guess a lot of us have been within the confines of sort of like a very comforting, um, sheltered life. Before university, before UP, a lot of us could have pretty parochial views, I guess, of everything. And it's truly yeah. UP nga, na, diba? Like, it's pagpalaya and, and, like, you learn a lot just by being yeah, in that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, you learn a lot by, by just being in that environment. So, uh, Nina here has quite the resume. So, she finished uh, speech com major in theater, correct? Minor. Minor minor in theater and then um well you proceeded to take on international studies that's why we ended up being good friends because we were in most classes together and uh of course there's the fact that we stayed in the same co-ed graduate dorm which was always fun because we had plenty of opportunities to bond and attend dorm activities together right epil kids and (laughs) Yes, then following your grad school, you moved on to working in the peace process. I, I believe you're still there. I don't work particularly for the peace process, but I worked in a in an international peace-building organization called International Alert. And one of the things that it deals with is the peace process, but it also deals with conflict areas in Mindanao. So my work with International Alert before, I've been there for three years. 
Mm-hmm. I headed the youth and women program of the organization. So we engage women and youth from the marginalized sector in political participation. So we give them spaces where they can share their issues and do something about it in their own communities. But then last year, I had to resign because I found out that I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And one of my kids' nannies left, so uh, there was really no choice for me but to... Yeah, the perpetual yeah. media problem. I know, so I had to take care of my son. Recently, I got on board with the organization again as a consultant for their radio show, and I'm now co-hosting their women's segment called Usapang Kababaihan, where we basically talk about issues of women and moms in Mindanao and the rest of the Philippines, especially during the time of the pandemic. It's just an aside. <laughs> Nina, you're is Muslim, which is basically one of the best reasons to have her on the show. Yeah, so today we're actually going to talk about, since this is a food podcast, then we're going to have plenty of discussions about just everything about Islam and, and how it affects food culture and whatnot. Right now, you're Mindanao-based. Yes, I, I live in Davao at the moment. Ooh. My husband is a medical doctor and he is under a residency program in Southern Philippines Medical Center, which is in Davao City, for orthopedic surgery. So we're going to stay here for five years until he finishes his residency. Okay, great. So apart from those qualifications, the reason why I kind of wanted to talk to you is because I think, you know, most of my formative years of being a new Muslim was spent with you and your wonderful family. Mm-hmm. And I was not a very good influence, I have to say. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so long story short, I converted to Islam and I consider myself a practicing Muslim. Although that's another long story to unpack and it's quite a personal topic that I usually cannot articulate to other people because, you know, I, to say the least, I'm still making sense of the whole thing. So suffice to say, as much of my early years of being a new Muslim, I spent you know, sharing great memories with you and your family. So if I were to look for a friend with whom I can talk about food, I don't really need to look very far. And I have to throw caution in the wind when I say Muslim food, because apparently one of the most impactful things that you have taught me is there's no such thing as Muslim food. Yes, it's one of my pet peeves, actually, when people refer to Moro or Taosug food as Muslim food, because it Mm -hmm. makes me wonder, why is there such a thing as Catholic food? Or atheist food. <laughs> I don't think that food is necessarily tied to religion, but to culture. And uh, here in the Philippines, unfortunately, most people are still misinformed mm-hmm. about uh, Muslims, especially those who live in urban areas like Metro Manila. Yeah, like so they Chris- usually <laughs> or predominantly Christian areas. Yes, exactly. Oh, which is a good thing because, like, it's like representation in media. Even in media reporting, when they say, "Oh, it's like, oh, a Muslim suicide bomber," blah blah blah. It's always one of my bad peeps as well. Uh, I guess. It's good that we're talking about it in a more public space because at least now people are more aware that you can't, you know, you can't do that, basically. Yes, exactly. You have to be careful about labeling it as such Muslim food because there isn't, when you talk about it in that way, it's it's really food lumped into one general idea, which mm-hmm. I guess we're, we're going to talk about later with the concept of halal food. But to call it like yeah. a, a general category of Muslim food is a little bit unfair because it is a diverse subset. Exactly. And I think that I also said this in one of my ANC interviews that, for example, in Sulu, for example, 
there are Taosug Christians and there are Taosug Muslims. Mm. So when you refer to Taosug food as Muslim food, it wouldn't make sense at all to the Taosug Christians. It would be unfair to the Taosug Christians living there, right? doesn't necessarily just mean... When you say that there are Mora tribes, it doesn't fall under one monolithic... I guess exactly like thing because when when you talk about the Muslim identity in the Philippines or like these tribal identities in in Muslim in the now, a lot of it I guess you could tell the, the the history a little bit better than I can. But I I guess in in my limited knowledge, a lot of them have evolved through time, just like how any society evolves to you know include intermarriages. So it's not generally yes. a, a very monolithic thing. And I yes. Right, I understand there's there's Taosu, uh Chinese as well. Yes, more so in Sulu because um it used to be an economic zone. Mm-hmm. And tawag the trading hub. Cuz Sulu the the Sulu archipelago is very well situated in the south of the Philippines. So basically right. a lot of the trading routes have passed through the like w- what would be considered as Bangsasu territory. Yes, that's why we have um, Malay influences, mm-hmm. Arabic influences, and even Chinese influences. Like even my grandmom used to share a lot of Chinese superstitions with us, mm-hmm. and it just goes to show how much Taosug culture is heavily influenced by Chinese culture. Also, great! It goes to show how, like, e- even with Philippine brand of Catholicism or Christianity, right? A lot of it is really syncretist in nature because we, we mix in a lot of our traditional beliefs. Some of us believe in feng shui. So there's really no like general idea of what Christian is. It depends. Uh, there's yes. It's like the rainbow. There's so many different colors and shades to it. There's a lot of different cultures and influences because the main idea about being these trading hubs is you're always in the crossroads of people exchanging a lot of their different cultures. So it's like when you are in the Sulu archipelago, you are basically there at the receiving end of Indonesian culture, Malay culture, and as you mentioned, Chinese culture. So Sulu is in the very south of the Philippines. Sulu is one of the island provinces in southern Philippines, mm-hmm. along with Tawi-Tawi and Basidan. Tawi-Tawi used to be a part of the Sulu province, but during the Marcos administration in the 1970s, hmm. Tawi-Tawi exercised its own leadership Great. apart from Sulu. Like, what are the bigger cities in, in the Sulu province? So the capital is Holo, mm-hmm. and where I'm from is the municipality of Patikul. So okay. unfortunately, that's also the the stronghold of the Abu Sayyaf group right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's that's what we're known for, apparently. Apart from that, of course, apart from the Abu Sayyaf group. How is it, by the way? Like, is it uh, relatively peaceful these days? I mean... It's an ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. And it's an ongoing thing. Like, even if we don't hear about it in the news, there's always something happening. And um, until now, it's an, it's an ongoing process that has yet to be resolved. And I understand the language uh, in the Taosu community is Taosu, right? Yes, Bahasa Sug. Bahasa Sug. I'm asking like I don't know, but I actually learned. <laughs> <laughs> I actually learned quite a bit uh, from you and your family, and I guess my first impression of it was that it's really close to my own local language as well, which is Bacolod Ilongo or Hiligaynon or Bisaya, actually, to a certain degree. But that's why it was easier for me to kind of acquire it. Yes, I had the same experience when we transferred here to Davao. It was easier for me to understand Bisaya because there are a lot of similarities with the Taosug language. Sulu definitely has its own distinct culture because when you 
when you talk about Moro or like Filipino Muslim population, there's even more division in that there's different tribes. And there right. are, the Filipino Muslim is also not monolithic. Yeah, well, well when, when you think about all of those cultures mixed in together, what does Sulu food or Taosug food generally look like? Taosug food is really influenced by Nusantara culture, which essentially is maritime Southeast Asia or Southern Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Brunei, and Southern Thailand. So a lot of it is really spicy food, I imagine, or like what, what are the predominant ingredients you would say? Like if there, if there is an ingredient that truly defines Sulu culture, what would it be? I think it would have to be the use of coconut. So coconut milk, grated coconut. It also has a lot of turmeric, so turmeric chilies. From what little I know about Taosug food, it's, it's very predominant. And I must agree because a lot of the Taosug food I've had makes use of coconut and coconut milk. Especially uh, Pyanggang, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I have very limited knowledge, actually. I mean, considering the time we've, we've spent together, I have very limited knowledge of... Is that a baby? <laughs> Sorry, just to let you know that my baby is with me right now. That's <laughs> okay. I'm a, I'm a strong, independent woman who can hustle like that. Yeah, multitasking, right? Oh, that's cute. I can, I can hear her, right? You have a boy and a girl now. Yes, I'm with the girl right now. Great. So, I mean, I mean of course, your, your kids are going to grow up in a, in a very multicultural. So, I mean, you're, you're in Davao. I mean, what kind of food is going to be introduced to your kids as something that is uniquely Taosug or from the Sulu uh, from the Sulu area? Yes, you know, the good thing right now is that there are al- already a lot of Taosugs living in Davao. Yeah. So at first, I thought it would be very hard to mm. look for Taosug food here in the city. But fortunately, mm. there are a lot of Taosug restaurants currently in the city and we didn't have a hard time for example last Eid when we wanted to Mm -hmm. eat Taosug food after the Eid prayers we didn't have a hard time looking for one yeah which is not the case in Manila right because in Manila I think you have you would have certain uh, restaurants but they're almost kind of generally lumped into like the whole halal concept of things so Uh when filipino muslims do restaurants here in manila it's like the general category of halal is sort of a mixed bag i would say like i mean yeah and it's mostly like mediterranean or persian food when they speak of halal food right um, what immediately comes to mind and what is actually on the menu is Arabic, Persian, Mediterranean food. And in, in the case that there is a Taosug food item in the menu, the restaurant is usually branded as Southern Philippines or Mindanao. So it's not really mm. branded as Taosug per se. Is that an issue? I would like to think no, but you can't really blame Taosugs when they get defensive mm. because of that. Since Taosug identity has always been tied with uh, violence, conflict, mm-hmm. abusaya, rebellion, etc. <laughs> so, <laughs> as much as we would like to think that's not really an issue, mm-hmm. it makes one wonder, right? Like, how come Taosug identity is not really, really thought of as artsy or those with culture or a certain kind of, or those who have um, their own cuisine, unique cuisine? It's always tied with conflict. It makes one wonder why. Taosug creativity or Taosug arts and Taosug culture cuisine is not really highlighted. Or whenever Taosug identity is 
brought up in a conversation is always tied to violence and not to how creative the people are because really we are a very creative people I would like to think even the UP Sablay is yeah. designed by a Taosug artist right No, right? I mean, and it's, de- it's derived from Taosug culture Our- that's a very interesting point because when you I guess when you loop uh, Muslim food into this whole monolithic thing like when you say southern Mindanao I mean southern Mindanao is quite a big swathe of of land as well, of 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 mm-hmm. of area. So they like you could have Tawi Tawi, which has its own and Tausuk. And and I guess I kind of agree with with the nomenclature, with the naming of things. Because when you say Southern Mindanao, I mean how much effort does it actually take to say it's Tausuk? Exactly. And interestingly, a lot of Tausug food are nowhere to be found in Maguindanao or Maranao cuisine, for example, like uh, the sambal or tula itum. Like it has no equivalent with other Moro ethnic groups. When you talk about how Taosub food is is lumped into that whole general monolithic thing, it kind of takes away from its own unique identity. Because when you, mm-hmm. I guess, when you look at all of these Moro food, like for example, I am quite familiar uh, with Maranao food, which is a different subset altogether. Because in Manila, more and more, when I talk about Filipino Muslim food, uh, there I go again with the with the naming. But when I talk about um, food from that area of the Philippines, when I say Mindanao food, for example, one that is very popular or I guess more prevalent in Manila because of like the whole migration and internal internal displacement thing really it reminds me of how, like for example, in some other places where you have a lot of these refugees uh, from, from other uh-huh. different countries in the Middle East. I don't want to say that it's a good thing that comes out of it, but one of the one of the good things I think that comes out of like all of this conflict is that when okay, and this is this is in no way saying that it is okay or it is all right. But I guess another byproduct or a result of all of these conflicts in their lands of origin is that when people migrate or become refugees, they bring their food with them. It's exactly the case with Taosu food. For mm-hmm. example, after the 1970s burning of Holo mm-hmm. by the Marcos administration, a lot of Taosug stayed in Zamboanga and lived in Zamboanga. From my limited experience of food from Mindanao, I mean, there's a whole world of things to explore when it comes to that area. And I think it's always an exciting time when I get to discover another tribe's food because it's to me, it's always very different because... And, you know, that, that's how I empathize with you when I say that I understand where you're coming from when you're saying, you know, like, why would you loop or why would you lump everything under the whole monolith of Southern Mindanao food when you can just say that it's Taosug? Because w- w- when I look at these things, they're incomparable. When I look at, for example, Maranao food, right. Maranao food vis-a-vis Taosug food, they're, they're like worlds apart. Considering, of course, that there's several influences. Like, for example, I would say like there's there's a different subset of ingredients together that's found in Maranao cuisine, and in in Sulu there's a whole, there's a whole different flora and fauna that you guys are are privy to when you when it comes exactly. To- like Maranao cuisine has a lot of sakurab, which can only be found in that part of Mindanao, right. and we don't use that in any of our food. So when it comes to like the unique kind of endemic food that's natural to the area of Sulu or the archipelago, what would it be? I, I, I'm guessing a lot of seafood. So I do have a quick question because I know that, for example, Tao Sug itself, the word itself, Sug, like I think I, I remember it, it reminds me of something that's related to current. Is that right? Yes, like the, the it, current- it literally means current and Tao Sug means people of the current. 
like of the sea basically right of the sea. like like yes like you guys are like moana people basically <laughs> you, you guys <laughs> you get swept away wherever and then that's the current that brings you around interestingly the way i observe um tao food is that there's not a lot of seafood exactly yes seafood is usually in islands mm-hmm. away from the mainland because we consider the mainland a holo mm-hmm. parang mm-hmm. that whole slab of island right there that's our mainland but then um in the islands like laminusa pangutaran that's where you can find a lot of seafood right you're saying that there's a mainland in sort of like a maritime part of sulu even within the tausu context hmm. you still can't lump us together i have an interesting story about a certain food item it's called tampuyak in Taosug and I oh guess it's God. called temp- I guess it's called tempuyak in Thailand or Indonesia so it's basically fermented durian that's mixed no. with turmeric uh, <laughs> salt and other spices so you can imagine like how durian already has a strong taste that is it's, it's very pronounced and uh, you know the reason why the, re- the reason why I was kind of reacting strongly when you mentioned tempuyak is because you know how like memories trigger right Right. Um, and it's sort of associated with the word itself so when you mentioned the slight mention of tampuyak you know brought me a very physical reaction to the smell of Uh which i do not like i am so sorry (laughs) so (laughs) to my southeast asian friends who are listening i i really you know i you do you when it comes (laughs) but there's a reason why places in singapore and malaysia ban it from public places (laughs) So you see, durian already has a pronounced smell in itself. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how much more pronounced it would be if it's fermented oh, and <laughs> mixed with turmeric and all these spices. So Wait, anyway, how, how do you usually how do you usually consume tempura? Eat it as a side dish when you're in in a meal. But oh. for me, sometimes I just eat it by itself. It's like a condiment. Yes, exactly. Like um, like. Like, like palapa, like palapa in Maranao. Oh yeah, I am. I, yeah, I mean, so there, there we go. Like, I'm quite familiar with palapa because, again, I don't live very far from the Golden Mosque, and around the Golden Mosque, you know, you have a lot of these communities, and there's a big Maranao population there that sells. You know, like every time I pass by there, you smell the sakurab, the little allium that uh, gets used into this palapa, which is a very strong condiment. You know, remember back in in grad school. Um, and we would have Maranao friends with us in Ipil. In the- right, right. And, and it's like, you know, you know that someone brought in the palapa because we shared a communal fridge. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you just know that there's palapa in the fridge when you open the fridge because it's like, it's, it's like a big root of, of smell. Like, it's very strong. It, 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 you know, like, if you can just imagine the smell of fermented, I don't know, like garlic or onion and it's mixed with yes. other ingredients, which makes it, like a very punchy and a very strong condiment, but it's actually very, very good. I mean, there, I had a, I, I had a really strong palapat phase. Um, I mean, I guess like some some years ago, but now I know. Unfortunately, because I have a lot of other ingredients in the fridge that really absorb flavor, so I I like cheeses and I like chocolate. Hey, baby. So you know, I have all <laughs> these food, and you know, like I I can't necessarily carry. Uh, palapa in my fridge because then everything would smell or taste like palapa. I know. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, palapa. How would you? How would you? How would you use tampuyak? Because, like for example, palapa. If you can say that it, it, if I use it as a condiment, I would actually just take palapa and just put like a like a teaspoon of it in in oil and then just fry rice in it. That's like one my one of my biggest applications for for palapa. But 
I guess I mean we know together from from our old like eating hangouts in EPL that I really like uh, palapa as well with with fried chicken or with with the chon. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. <laughs> like thinking, of, thinking about it makes me drool so much because it's like I haven't eaten so much in this week. <laughs> I'm trying to lose weight and stuff, but yeah. So how would you eat tempuyak? You also use tampuyak as a side dish to your main meal for the day. But I've gotten so used to the taste that I can eat it by itself. And sometimes I also put it on top of crackers, like mix it with all these Western <laughs> food that I have in my pantry. <laughs> wow. And just give to give it a tausug flair, I just put tampuyak on top of it. So anyway, your, what? then you go kiss your husband and be like, hi. But he's Tausug also, so he's probably used to the smell as well. No, no. And that really? brings me to my point. That brings me to my point that even within us Tausugs, mm-hmm. we also have different tastes according to which area in Sulu we're from. Like, for example, right. I said earlier, mm-hmm. I said earlier that my family comes from Patikul. Mm-hmm. So in Patukul, tampoyak is such a celebrated dish. But yes. for example, my husband, he's from Siasi. Is it is it an island or is it part of the mainland? Right. So my husband is from there. It's not part of mainland Sulu. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't eat tampoyak in that area. So when I told my husband about it, he was shocked that I can eat tampoyak. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that he said to me before we got married is that tampoyak is never, ever allowed in our house. <laughs> <laughs> but, but of course, he doesn't call the shots because obviously you eat a lot of tampoyak these days. <laughs> no, I only eat it when I'm at my parents' house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to maintain the peace in our household. Okay. But, you know, of course, uh, Ahmed should know that happy wife is a happy life. Brought to you by the tampoyak of Sulu. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So again, there's this whole diversity thing and and a lot of it definitely is really unique, attributable to Taosug food. But tell someone from a glance, what what's something that automatically tells you it's Taosug food? You mentioned there's coconut. Yes. Right. I think that would be it. I think it would be grated coconut and coconut milk because it's present even in savory dishes and even mm. in our pastries. Or our uh, what we call bang bang sug, or the desserts in Taosug cuisine. It's really the binding ingredient, so to speak, of uh, all the items in Taosug cuisine. Oof, yeah, you, you mentioned bang bang sug, which to me is very, very reminiscent. Like I was talking about my early Muslim days and how my early experiences of being a new Muslim is always going to be memorable when it comes to the the things that I've experienced because the bang bang sug is definitely one of those markers from that time when I was still kind of discovering for example like bang bang sug is you remember when we would have Eid celebrations in Diliman and they would always serve bang bang sug during Eid and to me yes I oh yeah I can basically kind of Sort it in the category of donuts. That's how I remember it. <laughs> yeah? No, I forget I mean, what you mean. Yes, yeah, a, lot so of, like, like, a lot of them are shaped like, like donuts, kind of twisted donuts. No, I mean, and it's all dough. Like, like there's a lot of like the dough category. For example, it's, I just remember bang bang soup generally to be sort of like bready, kind of really filling things. Mm. You know, which after a month of fasting sounds like a delight because all you just want to do is really load yourself up with carbs. But yeah, like so bang bang soup. Um, there's I understand that there's a whole lot of category when it comes to like these sweets that you enjoy. But so does that say that the Taosu the Taosu people are 
generally like do they have a sweet tooth? I wouldn't say that they have a sweet tooth as much as I would say that Taosug people really love coffee. And Bang Bang Sug is traditionally eaten with coffee and during coffee time or coffee breaks. So I guess it's it's really more of the Taosug love for coffee that Bang Bang Sug came about as something to complement it and not the other way around, if you get what I mean. Now I'm interested because no, I mean, as as a person who really loves coffee and you know that about me, that to me is not a foreign concept because you really have to eat something sometimes with, with coffee, right? And this whole like category of sweets, if you if you take a look at the, the pictures of Bang Bang Sug and like this category of like fried and sugary things i mean they're they're a delight to eat with coffee but i understand that right. like, like like sulu has its own coffee culture yes but i wouldn't really like to speak about it since i'm not a coffee drinker myself yeah, you which don't. is very yeah. ironic yeah right I don't, I don't know how we stayed friends all this time because <laughs> yeah, i mean i'm such a big coffee drinker but we sort of got along right all right <laughs> and ironic given my ethnic affiliation and there's this girl, Anne, who works with the Armed Forces of the Philippines. And for some reason, she spent a lot of time in Sulu, which is pretty badass, I would say, because like she's a woman and she's in the, she, she's in the Armed Forces. So she right. spent a lot of time in, you know, like she's uh, she spent a lot of time in Sulu. And when she went back to Manila, I think she she brought it back. Now she sells coffee from Sulu, you know, in, in bazaars and markets, which I think is a good oh, way to bring great. back. Right, like it's a it's a it's a good way to bring back income to to Sulu, which I think is is a great thing. We talked about coconut being a central ingredient, like it's a, it's the core identity of Tao Sub food. But what about dishes? Like, um, what what are the dishes that pretty much typify Tao Sub cooking? I think it would be burnt coconut for for Tao Sub dishes. Mm-hmm. You can find it in beef dishes like. Kulma, beef kulma. Yeah. You can also find it in chicken piangang. Oh, yeah. And tiula itum. And tiula itum, as I was about to say that. Let's talk about tiula itum. What makes it, you know, what makes it very interesting for me is there's really nothing else much like it. I mean, I, I find that interesting about Sulu. I, I just talked about this with a friend, Casey, from the previous episode where kind of singeing or charring the chicken, uh, like with the feathers and everything in fire. So, like pre-Islam or pre-Christian Philippines seems to have something about <laughs> like burning or charring things because Casey talked about charring the entire chicken before cooking it in in lagim. But now you're telling me that a lot of Taosug food has something to do with toasting coconut. But but right. the itum sort of takes it to a whole different level because the the itum, you know, in Bisaya in Bisaya languages and in Taosug, itum means black. Like yes, so so when you look at the ulaitum, it's it's kind of like this weird it's black, thing, b- black and like green thing. Like so, what is the ulaitum? How would you describe it? Burnt coconut mixed with beef and mm-hmm. chili and turmeric and all these other spices, and you simmer the meat mm-hmm. oh. for a very long time until it becomes soft. Yes, and tender. Do you usually eat the ulaitum with rice? Now, what's interesting about Taosugs is that we have a lot of alternatives to rice. Mm. We have basically cassava. So we have pyutu, which is another permutation of cassava. We have uh, shemlag. How do you call it? Pyutu. Pyutu. And, okay. No, that's that's very interesting for me because um, when you say puto, 
like in in the Philippine sense. Of course, it's not 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 it's not a, it's not a Spanish <laughs> cuss word, but apparently when you look into the history of putu being a rice dish, like a like a rice cake in the Philippines, it actually is derived from Southern Indian. Uh, like for example, in 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 Tamil food, they have putu, which is rice cake. But uh, how would you usually? Because I would classify it like I think in like if if I were to draw similarities, I would say that cassava probably would be boiled or steamed, right? And then definitely it would yield this very cakey sort of like rice cakey texture from yes, from, exactly from being cooked in in water. Exactly. So that's how putu looks like. It's a steamed mashed cassava <laughs> so that definitely yeah so definitely there you can draw a little bit of a, a similarity between southern indian and uh Taosu food but what else like so apart from cassava uh we also use steamed bananas Oof. as an alternative to rice so we sometimes eat it with fish so it's we're not really as rice dependent as the rest of the philippines if it's very very interesting what about noodles uh, i would factor in the like the chinese influence and the local culture and cuisine uh, Ola, wala noodles. <laughs> no noodles all right you know I, I can talk about indian food at length because it's one of my favorite cuisines but i recently actually had kurma one of my colleagues at the DFA sent me a, you know, Hannah sent me this this bowl of korma, which was just amazing. Like, lucky and, you. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it. I, I had I had my own Eid thing going, right? I had biryani and everything. So it, she sent me this whole korma thing, and the the great thing about stews, especially korma and and things along that category, is the more that you store it in the fridge, it somehow becomes better. Yes, <laughs> I. At first, I thought that it was only a um, personal preference, but mm-hmm. I find that I find that more and more of my friends also uh, want the same thing. What is k- kind of like the division of labor in a Taosu kitchen? Who cooks? I guess traditionally it's the women who cook, uh-huh. since uh, the men are the ones who are expected to mingle with mm-hmm. others in the community, or travel to sell some goods in, in our previous conversations you you mentioned to me that Taosu people don't necessarily fish even though they're surrounded by water but so th- that gives me an idea that trading is something that you guys would do trading is actually the reason why we are influenced by a lot of cultures from other parts of the world dang i was about to say because when you trade then definitely you come across these weird ingredients from other exotic places and you bring it back in that parts of the, you know, that becomes part of your cuisine and your cultural identity, which makes uh, Taosu food very, very exciting for me because it is Filipino food, definitely. But, you know, it's, it's a, it's a category of Filipino food that I always look towards because I gravitate towards, you know, more of these Indonesian, Indian, Malaysian flavors, which is quite complex. And how about, spice like the level of heat in the food how would you classify it i guess Taosugs loves spicy food in that there's more chilies and heat and really complex spices in your ingredients right so another question that i have is like for example when you have like you know on a normal basis when you have food celebrations what is something that you would normally find in a Taosug spread? I guess the queen of the Taosug spread would have to be the Tiula Itumits. Mm-hmm. It's actually also what my non-Muslim friends would 
always ask about whenever there's an Eid celebration at our, at our house. Mm-hmm. They would always ask if there's two light to them because it's, it's what they're looking forward to. Oh. And it wouldn't be complete if the spread wouldn't be complete if there's no two light in it. Yeah, so for those who can't imagine what tiulai tu must taste like, as you mentioned, there's burnt coconut, there's turmeric, there's a lot of other spices. Like, if there's an analog in, I guess, mainstream Filipino food, what would it be? You know, it's it's it's, it's a pet peeve for most Taosugs to compare tiulai yeah. to bulalo, but I guess that's the nearest comparison. Mm-hmm. Just so that people, your your viewers or your listeners can imagine what it tastes like. But But to me... It actually is closer because I think when I make tinola, I put a lot of ginger. Yeah, like chicken tinola. I like my chicken tinola to be really punchy with the ginger, very strong and very forward. When when I think about tiulaitum, that's kind of like the main flavor that comes or shines through is it's it's really kind of gingery. And yeah, it, it sort of reminds me of that sensation where you have this kind of mild gingery heat which is something that I really, really like when it comes to food because it's so comforting. It's been a while since I've had tiulai tum. Does it have any vegetables in it? Can you remind me? Like, no, do you- I don't think so. Like, it's just beef, right? So it's just beef and all of these spices. Right, yes. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking that you were able to explain it so much better than, than I would ever be able to do so since I don't cook. <laughs> no, I mean, I eat. Which brings me to another topic, especially. And I think that this is something that we can talk about at length because you said you're not much of a cook. But, you know, from our, I guess, like long, long, long conversations, like I remember we would take walks around the academic oval before and just discussing these things when we pretend jogging. You remember? <laughs> yes, in my heels. <laughs> in your heels or like, I just remember those times and it always cracks me the heck up because... You know, like in, back in grad school, I wasn't even that big yet, but I was just like, you know, there's always this kind of like thirst to do something physical when you're in, uh-huh. you know, because everybody is into it. You know, like you walk around the academic oval, everyone's jogging, everyone's on their bikes. And <laughs> I remember back in grad school, we were always like, oh, let's go jogging. We were eating too much, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in, in all of these conversations, it's just it's when, when I get reminded of that time, because it's like, where do we get the energy to be walking as, much as we did? I but, know. Which brings me back, actually, because these are the sort of things that we would actually talk about. I mean, if if I can't if I, if I can get much out of you when it comes to food and and cuisine, understandably, because you don't cook, I think it's very interesting to be talking about this in the podcast earlier on in this season. Because you know, make no mistake, I am talking about food because. I acknowledge that everything is political and especially when it comes to, you know, when it, when it comes to ethnic cuisine, like there's this whole like argument and there's this whole sort of debate when it comes to questions of identity and authenticity and how often food, you know, like a lot of people take for granted the power that comes from ownership and, and identity attached to the food. So what is your idea of, of like, I guess, authenticity, and, and the problem of people just kind of callously taking what's not theirs? I'm not really sensitive when it comes to cultural appropriation. Mm. Let me explain that. For example, when some of my friends would ask me if it's okay for them to wear a headscarf mm-hmm. when they attend a Muslim wedding mm-hmm. or for photo shoots, I would say, go ahead. Like, I have no problem with that. 
you can you can but, you can wear the headscarf. I don't think that it should be exclusively for Muslims only. But what annoys me is when you altogether label mm-hmm. an item as your own when it is in fact not. So that happens most of the time with Taosug food mm-hmm. and with unfortunately with uh, Zamboanguenyo culture mm-hmm. because I don't know if you know this, but in the 1970s, Hala was burned down by the Marcos administration because of the MNLF politics and all that jazz. So a lot of Taosugs live in Zamboanga. Sort of like a people in exile, right? Yes, exactly. So after the burning of Hala, and um, unfortunately, we still experience discrimination in terms of uh, jobs or getting jobs or houses. Like there are a lot of subdivisions in in the city where they don't allow uh, Muslim tenants. Really? Or if yes, it's <laughs> kind of weird because most uh, most I guess you can't generalize, but most Taosus I know are the most well-educated people, wealthy. <laughs> and um in terms of in terms of getting jobs for example taosugs would have to change their religious identity and their bio data to catholic so that they would be accepted get accepted yes so there's still this ongoing discrimination against taosug people but then when it comes to food you know like i and i don't want to put words in your mouth but it's sort of getting mainstreamed and widely accepted as part of exactly. kind of like the general Zamboanguenyo culture, which I understand is the very definition of, of appropriation. Because I want to go back exactly. To, because I want to go back to your your previous statement earlier. And and I guess it's important to set baselines because when you say I actually encourage people to participate in, in activities and be respectful. And like for example, wear a hijab, which I understand is one of your biggest advocacies, right? I think you mm-hmm. you would participate in World Hijab Day before and encourage people to kind of empathize with with muslimas yes. and and wear hijab for a day and it kind of experience what it's like which i think always yes. is a great thing like you know when you share your culture in that way where there's more dialogue and space for respect but you know just to make things very clear the very definition i think of and i think you captured it very clearly when you said that you know there's sort of this co-optation of culture but there's a power dynamic because they can take what they can but it doesn't necessarily benefit the community altogether it's like it's like it's like a level of of oppression sort of it's like a a, there's a certain level of kind of like a like a disparity or inequality in in the dynamic of power because when they say oh it's like you can't live in our subdivisions you can't sublet our apartments but yeah we're gonna take your food and call it your own and of course uh like that's not to demonize like the general zambuangenyo like sort of people and oh like very interestingly some bongenians are the people actually of the philippines that speak chavacano like in our previous conversations and this is something that you've intimated to me like so many different times is that you know you feel as though yeah there's a sense of yeah we are thankful that uh, that some bongenian people are tolerant and and some bongenians and taosug sort of I mean, not by not by the choice of the Taosugs, of course, that their homelands were raised and burned to the ground. But you know, for 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 what it's worth, the people of Zamboanga welcomed you. You know, and I and I remember I I remember this very clearly because I, I I've always wanted to understand how it is to, you know, to to live a life in exile. I mean that 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 would be very very difficult for me because 
in an ideal world, we're all going to be basically in a place where you're born and you don't have to uproot your life. And, you know, there's an inherent violence in, in, the, in the idea that you have to live somewhere else. I think that's something mm-hmm. that would be very difficult for me to kind of adapt to or adjust. But, you know, you've always intimated to me how, you know, there's a certain sense of, for what it's worth, the Zambuangenyu people, uh, the Christians basically took you guys in. And now there's a sort of like a level of peaceful coexistence between the Taosugs and the Christians and all of the other right. in the area. But, of course, you have to draw the line where sort of your ethnic, your, your, your unique cultural traditions are being mainstreamed as well. Which, exactly. I think, to me, there is a big issue when it comes to, you know, all of these debates and questions on authenticity and, and, and taking care of your particular culture in a way that it doesn't get diluted with like a general sort of idea. I, I don't know. Maybe that's something that you, you can unwrap. When you talk about Hiligaynon or Ilongo culture, perhaps we, we have some, some of our own unique cultural traditions and whatnot. But I don't know. Like when, when, you, when you are a member of uh, an extreme minority, like a Mora tribe, um, like the Taosugs, for example, there is a sort of sense of like a more impacted and a more compact sort of concentration of culture in that very small space. And in that very small population of people. So therefore, when you get into conversations of how your food culture is getting appropriated or being borrowed, quote unquote, mm-hmm. what, what is your idea about that? Like, well, how do you feel when, for example, with, with the whole movement of, of Philippine gastronomy sort of exploding outside of our country and even in the Philippines, which I find really interesting because... For example, Tom Kunanan, like the chef um, who's really popular in, in the U.S. now, I find it very interesting that one of his offerings in his U.S. restaurant is Tiulaitum. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but it's sort of the vogue, really trendy to, to move beyond the traditional notion of Filipino food abroad as you know lumpia and pancit and adobo and everything. So more and more chefs, especially in the U.S., who may not necessarily be Taosug, are sort of co-opting, I would say, or appropriating mm-hmm. that to a certain extent. What, what is your mm-hmm. opinion about that? I really have no problem with non-Taosug chefs cooking mm-hmm. or whipping up Taosug food as mm-hmm. long as you label it as such. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, interestingly, whenever I meet someone who is non-Muslim, especially from urban areas outside of Mindanao, and they mm-hmm. would tell me that you know, not all Muslims pala are bad people and that it's time to change the stereotype against Muslim people here in the Philippines. It's all just lip service if you don't do something about it. And one step to actually change the image of, of Muslims, especially Taosugs here in the Philippines, is to recognize that there is another uh, side to our identity apart from being, you know, warlike people or... or where the Abu Sayyaf came from. We are a very artistic people. Mm. We have a very interesting cuisine. We have very interesting textiles. And we have to recognize that and label them as such, as Taosug cuisine, Taosug textiles, Taosug mm. music, Taosug musical instruments. I think it's one of the biggest steps to change that stereotype that uh, Taosugs or Muslims are only capable of Violence. being this and that, yes, or, or, or that are 
our whole identity is just tied to violence or conflict. Yeah. I think talking about food inevitably, if you if you're the kind of person like me who sort of like breathes and talks about food culture and, and identity connected to food, there's also this debate or this problem with putting a standard or putting um, a primer on authenticity. Because for what it's worth, I think the problem with this line of thinking is often when you gatekeep a certain culture, um, of course, there's a certain level of possessiveness when it comes to, oh, like, don't do this to our culture and whatnot. I guess like the hard line saying, oh, like, we don't want you to do this because you're not Taosug or we don't want you to do this because you're not Filipino. There's also a whole argument about that and it perpetuates a certain need to situate something geographically when it shouldn't be the case, I think. Like, um, there's nothing about someone coming from a specific particular region or country or whatever geographic location that makes them more, I guess, singularly capable of making a dish. Which is to say that I can learn, as someone who didn't grow up with, with Taosu cooking, I can learn and I can kick ass in, in making Taosu food, but I cannot say that this is my food personally. Exactly. Right. Right. And I think the idea of cultural appropriation, it's not about who's allowed or not allowed to do certain things, I think. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel that way, but mm-hmm. to me, it's like, for example, the only kind of food culture that I can lay ownership to, because I, again, it goes back to the idea that I probably don't have any strong regional connection to any food whatsoever. I mean, I guess when when you talk about Hiligaynon or, Hiligaynon or Ilongo food, kasi it's, it's become more mainstream that I can't really say that, like, I want to gatekeep, like, what is in a sal, what is this or that because mm-hmm. i don't even mm-hmm. know i don't even know like a strong cultural attachment to it aside from the fact right. that i grew up eating it but it's like filipino food for example it's when when other people who are not filipinos would say like oh like i'm making like spring rolls but you know i wouldn't necessarily say spring rolls translate to lumpia you know that thing and, <laughs> yeah you know that? or or like or like birthday noodles. Why, you know, why is there a need to over-translate everything? <laughs> and that's another conversation altogether when it comes to mm-hmm. taking away the impact of food when you change the meaning or when you change the idea behind it by, by mm-hmm. giving it a different name. But Yes, that's also, that's also actually the case with Tula uh, Itum, as I was saying earlier, that it's mm-hmm. become a pet peeve for Taosugs when non-Taosugs label Tula Itum as Black Bulalo. Oh, wow. You know, sometimes people mean well. Don't get me wrong. People mean well when they say, because I guess it's a very human trait, very human characteristic for us to sort of put things in terms that we understand. And mm-hmm. they mean well. They may not mean offense when they say, oh, like it's black bulalo, because that's an analog. That's the closest thing that they can think of. And it's something that we really have to be mindful about, especially if the right. culture, like the Tausu people, take offense when you say, oh, like it's, it's tinola, but black. Right, exactly. No, but, but I guess I just have to re-qualify my point about cultural appro- appropriation as an issue not about who's allowed or not allowed to do things. But right. I guess it always goes back to the amount of respect that you put into what you're doing. Exactly. It makes me happy that non-Tausug friends are enjoying Tula Itum and Bang Bang Sug. Mm. But then... It always boils down to recognizing that it comes from Tausug culture. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it also makes us more human. 
as opposed to what the media always portrays that we are a violent yeah. ethnic group it makes us more human because food is something that we all share and we all enjoy and <laughs> as simple as labeling a food item as tausug makes a lot of difference when it comes to breaking stereotypes wow you know there's a, there's a sort of bigger stigma attached to them as these people who can't possibly do anything else aside from waging wars or rebellions or whatever it means a lot coming from you when you say that you appreciate it when people label correctly or when people attribute correctly because man i mean to me that's a big learning experience when you say that it gives you something else to live for aside from being you know like being labeled as or being avoided as someone who is probably right. violent or confrontational right. And it's it's right. great. I mean, the whole the whole Filipino landscape of cuisine is becoming wider and wider. Like especially in my own personal experience, there's a greater experience of like acceptance of different stories and and differences in 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 these unique cultures. Because just in in UP, I think right the fact that when we do Eid. When we do Ramadan um, fasting celebrations, for example, after after you know, like I, I always appreciated that about the uh, Muslim community of UP because it's very inclusive, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember that um, when you know, like before we we had uh, like for example fasting and and when we break the fast at the end of the day during iftar we would invite people from from the whole up community and that was always a great experience for me which always gives me the idea that muslim food especially filipino muslim food is always something that brings people together mm-hmm. and and being someone who has work or you know your work is associated with bringing more peace and and unity and coherence in the mm-hmm. Philippines especially what what is your i guess um and let this be let this be one of our parting words before we wrap up um you know what what, what is your idea of how food unites i'm very happy that you asked that question because whenever i explain what i do to people who are not familiar with peace building work sort of a hard concept for them to understand and i can't blame them because peace building in itself has there are a lot of factors or a lot of uh things to consider when doing peace building work but as we always say it always has to be multi-sectoral it has to be you know you have to engage all sectors from the government to those at the grassroots level and one thing that is most One thing that is most often overlooked is breaking stereotypes in mm. order to unite people or to end conflict or to end discrimination. And in this case, attributing Taosug food to the Taosug people, labeling it as such, mm. it makes a big difference in in terms of ending stereotypes in in that area of the Philippines. Mm. And peace building is not just about dialogues between government and rebellious groups mm. or extremist group or combating extremist groups. It's as little as accepting or tolerating different cultures, appreciating our diversity and proper attribution of things or culture to the people or recognizing that the other group is as much as human as you are. Wow. 
very Miss Universe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I, I love, I really am 100% behind that idea that, you know, in order for us to build peace, there's a, there's a certain sense of, you have to understand who you're talking to at the opposite end of the negotiating table. And I guess <laughs> when there's food on that negotiating table, it makes it easier to, um, to, to appreciate just how much leverage culture has when it comes to understanding how we can build peace i think which is which right. is great i mean that's always that's always um a good thing when there's something more than the conflict more than the violence more than the division amongst us that we can talk about there's so much hate and violence in the world right now and one thing to address that is to you know Try to get to know other people, their culture. Don't be afraid to try new things. Try Taosug food, but just don't forget to label it as Taosug food, okay? <laughs> we have to be very careful when it comes to cultural appropriation. Very well. All right. So, yeah, well, thank you so much for being on. And that concludes the second episode of The White Plate. If you have any questions, comments, and suggestions and future topics for the podcast, please don't hesitate to email me at nosleepnani at gmail.com. Until then, see you later.